Hey guys, welcome back to Upbeat. I'm your host, Parker Kane. Thank you very much for being here and for listening in. Uh, if you would, please follow the podcast wherever it is you're listening to it right now. That is always very much so appreciated. So thank you for that. Today's episode is a continuation of the last episode. So part two with Olympic hopeful Chris Helwick and his mind coach, Jeff Meyer. In this episode, we get really into the power of the mind and the body, as well as so many other topics with actionable tips and advice, including how prepping for something like an Olympic event can be really similar to other things like public speaking and gearing up for a big speech and things like that. We also talk about gratitude, respecting the recovery process, meditation and visualization, and how to make sure we're actually really progressing and so much more. Uh, so I hope you're excited to, to hear this interview. I know I'm excited to share it with you. I hope you guys didn't mind waiting a week. Again, this is the first time for Upbeat that we've done it back-to-back -back part one and part two episodes, but we appreciate you waiting for part two. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Uh, and real quick, to stay up to date with Chris's journey, you can see what he's up to at chrishelwick.com. Also, I believe Jeff will be releasing a new book soon, The School of Flow, uh, where he'll be sharing with us the same kinds of information that he teaches the athletes he works with, including Chris Helwick. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, but of course, as always, for all the details about these things and for anything we talk about in the episode, you can go to my website, parkercane.co. Thanks, guys. Let's get into it. We're usually in this high beta wave. That's where most of our society lives their life is in this high beta where it's stressed. They got so many things going on. But if you can slow her down just a little bit and get in that alpha brainwave, that, that kind of, that's where like the magic happens. You know, that's where uh, flow state, you know, that total absorption where time disappears, that liquid coordination, all that stuff happens. And that's where all that greatness happens. Cause you know, Chris has got the tools. I mean, he's, he's a phenomenal, you know, athlete, but he now is really prepared. Chris, how, and, and I don't mean to take your job, Parker, sorry, no, you're but, good. <laughs> but, um, how, how different are you now than when you were chasing the Olympics in 2012? I'm, I'm significantly different. I mean, I, 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 I call myself a born again athlete. I felt like I, I died and started an entire new life, honestly. Which is why you say that that period after you retired and then decided to come back was a transformation period was because you transformed into this, I guess, new. And you mentioned earlier, too, that you had a speaker sheet. So I'm assuming you're planning on, on speaking a little bit as well. Um, I, I have, like, I've, I speak um, every so often. I mean, it's not like a, a standard tour or schedule or anything like that. But I'm, I'm more than willing to speak, and I do it pretty often, just, just the groups and clubs and schools in the, in the area. Okay, sweet. So the reason I ask is because... I think Jeff does the speaking, I do the speaking, you do the speaking. I'm sure a bunch of the listeners are trying to tap into that space too or have similar kinds of things they're working on. So if we want to get in the zone before, say, we get on stage to go deliver a presentation, if we want to reach that flow state, if we want to tap into this, uh, you know, Jeff's saying slower down and and kind of center yourself and Chris was saying earlier, like you can visualize something and then realize it and make it a reality. So what are some things you could do to, I guess, mentally prep to get on that stage and deliver like a super powerful presentation? 
you know, I, I, yeah, I think about it. So I'm, I'm a novice when it comes to speaking, you know, I'm a, I'm an experienced professional in the world of track and field, but I'm, I'm just figuring out how to, how to speak well. Um, but I, I think, you know, it's not going to be some revelation or anything, but I think preparation is, is just so huge. It's like, you know, winging it is probably not <laughs> you want to go for. You know, that's, a, that's the Olympic athlete right there. You can't wing it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> See, that's, to- that's totally backwards from beatboxing because <laughs> my best beatboxing is when I freestyle. <laughs> yeah, really? yeah. No, that's interesting. That is. But I, yeah, I think, you know, like knowing, knowing what emotions need to go with what segments of your speech and like practicing feeling that way when it comes to that section of your speech, you know, speeches should be dynamic. Um, you're, you're telling stories, you're, you're building things up and then you're, you know, lowering things down. You want to take your, your audience on a journey essentially. So you've got to be emotionally dynamic. Uh, I think that's a big thing. And, um, so, you know, just kind of tying in what we've been saying, like you not only rehearse the words you're going to say, but you rehearse how you're going to feel and the conviction that you're going to bring to those words. One thing that I would say, and and I've done, you know, I, I, I've been in front of some pretty big audiences, but I think what really changed it for me now, you know, Parker, we've, because of church aspect, we've been speaking for a long time in front of people. I remember when I was like seven or eight years old, getting up in front of people and speaking. So it hasn't really, some people like, you know, they'd rather at a funeral, they'd rather be in the coffin than give the speech. You know, it's that kind of thing. One thing that really helped me, I think, is I turned to my audience and didn't think about me. I turned to my audience and said, how can I make their life better? It made all the difference in the world for me. You know, whereas I was always, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? You know, and instead of saying, how can I convey this message so that maybe one or two people in that audience, you know, they'll walk out thinking, hey, maybe there's a different way to approach this, you know, and then I, I really believe what what Chris said is, you know, preparation, you definitely have to know what you're going to say. Now, I don't believe in memorizing it. I believe in knowing it and owning it, but believing that, um, that work, I, I re- when, when the first time that we met last year, when I was out, you know, at that uh, Ignite Your Champion, when I spoke there, you know, I looked at my log and I think I prepared for that speech almost three hours a day for three months. And I actually, I got up on a stage, I recorded myself, you know, so those are some, you know, and then there's just, you know, your energy that that's huge. You know, if you have butterflies, that's a performance issue. You, we can deal with that real easy. Um, Chris knows all about that when he's, you know, the Olympic trial, you might have a little, you know, bitter butterflies. And those, I tell every athlete that I work with, those are great. I'd be worried if you didn't have them, you know, because that can feed your energy. You just got to get them and fly them in formation, you know, and, and get to that. But I really think that if we learn to really develop this alpha state in our society, we do not sit still. If we could just sit still and calm and when you feel that confidence wash over you, 
you feel stronger, you feel more prepared. It's just a gift. You know, a gift is to be able to have people sit still and no distractions. You know, when I first started doing this, I would take my athletes and I put them in my office and have a meditate. And I'm thinking I'm working with a lot of college kids at, at that time. And I thought, this is like, this is job suicide. This is going to kill me. <laughs> I'm locking kids in a dark room without their, I take their phone, you know, and they're going to go, you know, it's like, I'm done with you. It's crazy how they've, that was the most, that, that was one of the parts of, in this framework, this, this framework that I teach, that's one thing that they started to really love. And Chris can talk about, you know, his experiences of just sitting still and just quiet around. Yeah, that would be, that'd be awesome if we could. I, I was going to ask Chris too, like as far as preparation goes for your events, is there kind of a process to, well, that's a, kind of a dumb question. Probably there is probably definitely a process. <laughs> what is the process uh, that you go through to, I guess, approach the track or approach whatever it is you're going to do and mentally kind of prep for that? You're talking about like on a day-to-day basis or in, in competition? Let's do both. Like, yeah, if you're gearing up to practice or if it is the Olympic trial, like what you would do to rope in those butterflies and, and turn it into good energy that's going to excel you forward. One of the most important things that I would say that it guides me day-to-day is daily when I show up to the track, checking in with my body to see how it's feeling. So here's, here's just a direct contrast to how I used to approach things. I would show up to practice and I would say, okay, body, here's what's going to happen. You're going to do these things. You're going to run these intervals. And then we're going to lift these weights. And then, and then you can take a rest. You know, and I was like this circus master, like, you know, whipping the tigers around or something. Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> but now, you know, especially after that experience I had where I had this like conversation with the mysterious intelligence in my body, I go to the track and I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? How are, you, how are you feeling today? What, you know, what, what can we do together today? And that is so important because it allows me to figure out how to progress in the most productive way possible. If I put my body through something it's not ready to do, it is going to hurt me more in the long run. I'm going to get injured or I'm going to have to sit out two days to recover from it. But if I say, Hey, what, what are you ready for today? What can we, what can we do to, together today? Um, we can find out just what is the line of appropriateness. And that, that's really how you make gains over the long term. It's just doing kind of a manageable amount each day. You know, as we were talking about, meditation is a daily habit of mine. I do it every morning, not for very long. 10 to 20 minutes is my session, but I do it every single day. Um, it's usually followed by some sort of visualization. So I think uh, frequency of meditation is also a, a super important um, aspect of being ready. In terms of getting ready for a big day, like a competition, you know, to me, it's about, it, it's about showing up excited and like grateful for the opportunity of what you're doing. I mean, just as, as Jeff said, I, couldn't, I could not agree more that like, the most successful and productive athletes are those who are grateful 
for for what they're doing. So here here's here's a big part of it: having people around me who like keep me focused and centered on the things that I really believe and espouse in, in those moments when it's so easy to get, to get your focus and attention drawn away to external successes and external events. Um, it's like when I have my, my inner circle, my, my group of people who support me, coach me, train me, um, got to have those people near so that I'm constantly reminded of, of where to, where to have my mind. I love that. So when, when you go to Tokyo, <laughs> is Jeff going with you? <laughs> oh, you're, tar- you're darn right I am. <laughs> I'm front and center. <laughs> I'm excited about that. My, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to bring my wife or not. That's no, all- she, That's she, she's, I promise she's coming. <laughs> all right, we'll say proceed. That's awesome. I think there's so much in in everything we're talking about that is just applicable to anyone and anything that they're pursuing. But it is cool to see it on such an extreme level of athletics, you know, and to see how it really does take a physical element, but also just a mental and an understanding and a grateful element. You also kind of alluded to longer recoveries, like if you go too hard, that kind of a thing. One thing that kind of popped in my head is probably when you were a younger athlete, I'd say this because I interviewed months ago a a professional BMX biker who said that the hardest thing for him was just taking a break. It was just stopping because he didn't want to recover. He just wanted to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. So I'm assuming that's similar to how you used to feel. And I would say now there's probably like an element of respecting the recovery process and maybe some more mental game there too. Yeah, you hundred percent. That's that's really well articulated. It is respecting the recovery process. It's understanding that the recovery process is the other side of the coin. You've got training and you've got recovery. One of the things, one of the smartest things somebody said to me in the last couple of years is your training is only as good as your adaptation. And so if you don't allow your body to adapt to your training, because training is ultimately breaking you down. In the short term, you're breaking down from your training. And when you leave the track, you know, you're you're not as good as when you showed up. You know, so you've got to recover. And um, you know, the stress is good because it it guides our body in growing and becoming stronger. But um, but yes, uh, you know, getting away from myself. But the, the recovery is something that I, I respect greatly, and I and I see something happening when I'm still. That's I guess that's a good way to put it. Is that I I don't when I'm when I'm resting when I'm still I'm recovering. I don't think I'm losing anything. I understand that I'm in the process of gaining. You know, and that's that's a great way to what that's it's one of the best ways to say it is that it's the it's the program. It's part of the program. Right. So I've, I've hooked Chris up. I have some software it, that it's, it, it calculates your heart rate variability. It's HRV. And so you can look at that heart rate variability. And if you were to look at it in the morning time, it gives you a good idea of how your body's going to react to where you're going to go workout wise. And so, and that's one of the things in this framework that I teach athletes is that that heart rate variability can 
can give you a lot of information. You know, some days it's like, okay, man, everything looks good. Go out and really push yourself. And other days can be like, you need to just be stretching, you know, and, and taking your time that way. And what Chris said was just so right. It's it, the other side of the coin. It, it's, it is the growth, right? If, if you don't have any recovery, you're just breaking down all the time. And if you do it in a mindful way where you're, you're bringing your mind and your heart, that, that uh, coherence, you know, that it's, there's science behind this that shows that you will recover faster if you're in that coherent state, showing gratitude, things like that, that, you know, I, I was in front of a six foot six, 325 pound lineman the other day. And I said, today, we're going to talk about gratitude and forgiveness. And he looked at me like, I want to get better, dude, you know? And then I started showing him some of the science, what it does for your body if you were to do this. And then he got on board. He's like, oh, I understand now. And just like Chris, the gratitude, man, if you wake up in the morning and you're so full of gratitude that you get to go chase this dream that, that Chris is chasing, there's not a lot of people that have the talent and that have the time to be able to do that. And so that gratitude, and I think he is a, um, he's a grateful athlete. Awesome. Well, and I loved too what Chris said about having an, like an, an inner circle of people there to support you because it's hard to be grateful all the time when every phone call you have is <laughs> with someone who's being kind of a Debbie Downer, you know, got to kind of surround yourself around people and communicate with people who are going to build you up and support those good attributes. Definitely. Absolutely. Sweet. Well, I just had uh, like two more questions. I really wanted to at least check the box on before I let you go, before we get into the upbeat seats. The first one is what is a typical, is a more generic to, I guess, someone training to go be in the Olympics, but what does a typical day look like for someone who's going through that training? Well, everybody's going to be a little bit different, but there's going to be some similarities as well. Um, but I'll, I'll run you through a typical day for me. So I, I wake up and I've got a morning routine. and It involves writing, meditating, reading, eating, being outside. So I, I kind of take some time to like get into a good place and like, like have a have a really nice day before anything really jumps off. Um, so if I can, I like to, to take that time and do those things. After that, it's usually mid-morning, and I, I just take care of administrative things. There, there's plenty of administra administration that goes along with an endeavor like this, especially for an individual sport athlete like myself, track and field athletes, golfers, gymnasts, swimmers people who aren't on a team necessarily. There's a lot of things to manage about your program day in, day out. There's media, things like that. So that's usually like how I like to spend the rest of the morning. And then I devote the entire rest of the day, the afternoon, the evening to my training. Um, I, I prefer to train in the afternoons. Some people like to jump right out of bed and start doing stuff physically in the gym, on the track, whatever it may be. I prefer the afternoon. That's just how I've always been. And so that's what I do, whatever the day calls for. I might spend 30, 45 minutes at home doing some like 
stretching or or dynamic exercises in my living room before I go out to the track so that I'm kind of I like to get things going in my house before I head out but then I spend time at the track or at the gym and in the evening I'm doing whatever I can to to tell my body start recovering from the stress that I put it through um, I eat dinner at the same time every night I, I spend uh, a, a chunk of my evening right before I go to bed with my girlfriend. It just helps settle my mind. Again, it's like you surround yourself with somebody or, or somebody's who um, keep you in line with the things that, that you really believe, your, your values. And then I'm, I'm in bed early. I, I sleep seven and a half to nine hours a night. Now I've got some follow-up questions, but I'm sure with your eating, like you probably have to eat more calories than people who aren't training for that stuff. And then also when it comes to training, I mean, again, a decathlon's 10 events. So do you, do you have ones that you focus more on or do you think like, or would you say that you're putting the same amount of effort into each of those? I, I am not, no. And, and I wouldn't say any decathlete does. For one, the decathlon is generally a, a speed and power event so that you, you want to train your speed and power more than, say, your endurance. Uh, you know, the 1500, it sucks to suck at it for sure. So you, you don't want to do that. But you also can't put all your time and energy into getting good at the 1500 because it just doesn't pay out. So here's so for, so for one, I'm just saying training, the amount of time and energy you put into each event does vary a lot. But here's how I look at it. To be a good decathlete, you've got to be an exceptional athlete. I mean, it's the test. It's, you know, it's known as the test of the world's greatest athlete. And so you, you have to be athletic. I like to approach decathlon training in the sense that I am training my athleticism. And I'm using the decathlon events to make me a better athlete. They are, you know, puzzles, riddles in themselves that help me develop my skill of being an athlete. So I, I really look at it like that. There's, and, and, and when you do that, you can train for many events at one time. If you work on getting faster, let's say, you're just more, more power and more top end speed, you're affecting you know, six or seven of the events right there. So we don't look at it as much about okay, how am I going to break this up into 10 chunks? It's more like, what are the attributes of athleticism that I need to be the best decathlete I can be? And then we train those attributes. Got it. Well, that's awesome. It's good stuff to know. I'm sure the listeners are going to appreciate it. I appreciate it. The, the other question I had that I really just wanted to get checked was, yeah. how do you overcome the temptation to... I guess, to other decisions that wouldn't be helpful. So if you're tempted to sleep in, if you're tempted to eat something you shouldn't be eating, if you're, if you're tempted with those everyday challenges, how do you just like whoosh them away and do the things you're supposed to do? Yeah, good question. Well, for one, I, I'm, I'm always encouraging myself to sleep in rather than, than get up. It's, <laughs> it's just so critical. It really is. Yeah. But um, so I, you know, that's a, it's a tough question. It really is. There is no easy answer, but I'll tell you this, the way to overcome temptation and things like that, eating the wrong, like eating the wrong thing, drinking the wrong thing. Um, you know, as an athlete, these, these are really detrimental. We're staying out too late. That's, that's, that's really detrimental. 
the, the way to do it is to be doing something that's more fun than that. So maybe the payout isn't as immediate. The gratification isn't as immediate. But like, do you have a story in your mind about what you're doing that's more fun, that's more exciting than staying out late and having a couple beers or, or indulging in the chocolate cake or whatever, whatever it may be? Um, it's really, it's, it's, about, it's about having more fun in the other space. That's you know, one thing that what he said that I uh, listened to an interview the other day with a professional basketball player that's 38, 39 years old, still playing. And the interviewer said, it must be great to be you because you can just do anything. And he looked at that guy. I thought there was going to be lasers <laughs> thrown through his eyes. And he's like, what are you talking about? He goes, my life is just the opposite of that. He goes, I have such a huge list of the things that I cannot do because I want to be great, because I'm this age. So it's not about anymore what I can do. It's all about, I can't go out and party like the, you know, like the young kids do. I can't drink beer like the young kids do. There's a lot, my whole list of things that I can't do is 10 times bigger than the ones that I can because everybody thinks he's just so gifted, right? He can just do everything. And just like Chris, there you find out what your list is and then you start really living within those boundaries, you know? And then one thing that, you know, kind of for me spurred a thought was, you know, he kind of said, it's, I think one of the things that is making it fun or, maybe more gratifying than that piece of cake, you know? And so this basketball player looked, he goes, I like to win championships. <laughs> that's, that's his fun. That's what he loves to do. And so having that beer doing this or doing that is not as important as him being able to compete at such a high level. You know, and I just love that because I think a ton of athletes that are gifted and that's who I work with a lot of really elite athletes and they just think a lot of them think they can just go out and, do, you know, eat their fried chicken, you know, drink, their, do whatever, and they can still perform the next day. And they, when you're younger, you probably can, but I keep telling them, it's like, okay, just, just think how good you could be if you didn't do that. You know, so that list is really important. This is an amazing episode. Do you guys have any other, I guess, things you'd like to share before we get into the upbeat seat? Hey, Chris, tell them what you eat. <laughs> uh, well, I, I do eat a lot. It's true. Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I eat a very uh, wide variety in my diet, but like my breakfast is always the same. I have... A, four eggs, fried and butter, about a can of black beans, some vegetables, kimchi, a whole avocado, blueberries. Or sour, is there sauerkraut? I remember that. You know, either some kimchi or some, some sauerkraut, something. Okay. Um, blueberries and tea. That's, that's my breakfast every morning. It's about 1,500 calories. Dang. That's and how, how much calories... Or how many calories do you need in a typical day then, I guess? Yeah, it's uh, 
I, it's probably around four thousand. I, I don't I don't know exactly. I don't um, keep track. I, I, I wrote a blog once about what I have for breakfast, so that's why I know the details of like the the calories of my breakfast. But uh, I think it's around four thousand, about about twice as much as what the average person would eat in a day. Well, that's crazy. Well, thanks for opening up to us and sharing us all this amazing insights about what it takes, you know, both sides of the coin, the mental side, the physical side uh, of being trained, of training to be in in the Olympics. That's incredible. Um, are you cool if we move into the upbeat seat real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Upbeat seat. Chris, what makes you upbeat? <laughs> um, life is for fun. And, and that's all there is to it. Do you have any weird talents or uh, useless skills? Um, I, I wouldn't call it useless. I think I think it's it's useful, but it, it you know this day and age, it's not. It's more of a well. I, my my skill is this. Um, I'm incredible at building campfires. <laughs> I, I love fire. I have ever since I was a little kid. And I just, I just love going into the woods and making a fire, and I'm really, really good at it. Awesome, love that. Who is your number one influence or inspiration? Oh goodness, number one influence or inspiration. Um, I'm going to have to say Alan Watts. Alan Watts, a, uh, a philosopher, lecturer in the 1950s, 60s, uh, 70s, 80s, and he was all about bringing. Um, the philosophies of the East to the West. What's your go-to music playlist for training? Uh, Mozart piano concertos. That is awesome. <laughs> I was not expecting that. I was expecting he, something a bit more. He's a different cat. <laughs> They're brilliant. The, Mo- the Mozart piano concertos. They are incredible. That is so great for your brain. <laughs> it is phenomenal for your brain. So if any other athletes out there listening, quit listening to whatever and listen to some Mozart. <laughs> What's your favorite word? Um, specificity. It, it, it has like a, there's like a finesse when it comes out of your mouth. It has a nice rhythm to it. Specificity. It's, it's about the experience of saying it. It's not really what it means. <laughs> What's your favorite TV show? Ooh, favorite TV show. Uh, Sherlock was an incredible series on Netflix. Other than the Olympics, obviously, what is something on your bucket list? On my bucket list? Um, I don't know. That's it, I, I'm oddly like without an answer. I'm like, I think I've been so absorbed in the current project that I'm in that I haven't really, I I mean, I could come up with something, you know, something trivial, but honestly, like I have been so hyper-focused on what I'm doing that I haven't really desired to, um, you know, go out. I didn't have a whole another life goal, I guess, but I'll tell you this as I'm speaking to contradict myself. I love climbing, climbing mountains, mountaineering, my bucket list would be to climb something. Not, I don't have anything in particular, but when I'm done with my athletic career, I definitely want to get into some mountaineering. Free solo. 
uh, one of those amazing movies. Not for me, but uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not for a lot of people. I have a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another music question, but what does music mean to you and how has it played a role in your life? Even though I, I love the Mozart and, and classical music, music for me, for most of my life, has been about the lyrics and the message. And I'm so I'm I'm as much into like underground hip hop as I am classical. And um, I, I think that music, especially like hip hop, is poetry to words. And uh, so that poetic expression that comes through in, in that sort of music is what I and a lot of types of music is what I has really been the most meaningful thing to me. Awesome. Favorite social media platform and where can people connect with you? Yeah, Instagram is my go-to. That's where I, I, that's what I have in mind when I create all my content, even though it goes everywhere else. So Instagram is a great place. My handle is whatthehellwick, separated by periods. Um, You can probably just search Chris Hellwick Decathlon as well. But yeah, that's where you can find me and, and on Facebook as well. Awesome. Well, I'm a, I'm going to send this out with a beatbox. I'll yeah. say, uh, put your name in it and maybe, maybe Olympics 2021. Nice. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, baby. Awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> Sweet. Well, to wrap up the this episode, uh, when are the Olympic trials and where, what can people do to, I guess, keep up with you and follow your journey? Yeah. So the Olympic trials will be next June. Trials in the Olympics were postponed one year almost exactly so next june is the trials and then in late july and into august are the olympic games the best way to keep up with me is for one on social media as i mentioned but i also have a periodic email that i send out that just goes a little more in depth into how i'm doing what i'm doing um, what's going on in my life and people can find that at chrishelwick.com we uh, here at Upbeats are rooting for you, man. We, we we appreciate having you on the show. And Jeff, thank you for coming on as well and sharing your your insight as far as the mental game goes. No, this is this has been phenomenal, you know. And Chris is is uh, he, I I just wish the best for him. He's just such a great he, he's a great athlete, but he's even a better person. We'll put it that way. Thank, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure working with you too, Jeff. And I, I'm glad we get another year together. Uh, postponement was quite a, a blessing in disguise. And Parker, thank you very much for having me on. It's been cool to, you know, I, I talk about my story a lot, but it's been cool to have um, this angle on it, the upbeat angle. So I appreciate you having me. Thanks guys very much for, for being on the episode on Upbeats. I appreciate it. Love Upbeat. Thank you. so there you have it the now completed interview with chris helwick and jeff meyer just wanted to say thanks once more to them for being on the show and sharing their stories and bringing so much value to all of us 
Uh, We sure appreciate it. So thanks, guys, very much for being on the show. And to everyone listening, thank you for being here as well, listening to the show. Definitely appreciate that. And of course, we'd love to connect with you. So you can find all the links at parkercane.co and chrishelwick.com. If you enjoyed the episode or got value from the episode, please share it with a friend and leave an upbeat review. That is always much appreciated. Thank you, guys. You're the best. I'll see you next week.